Father, may the words of my lips and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I had meant to thank uh, earlier Dr. Chris Chun for his ministry uh, to us in my absence last week. He is present with us, and thank you, uh, Chris, for that. I shared that we might be taking detours from time to time in our journey through the book of Romans, and we are going to start one this Sunday for about five weeks. Uh, We will be looking at what I'm calling practices of the faith. I considered calling them the fundamentals of the faith, but I decided to back down from that uh, sort of contested terrain, practicing our faith. We'll look at worship and stewardship and quiet time and prayer and love of family and Bible study and missions and ministry. Three of those will be on Sunday evenings, and uh, Bryce and Stephen and Stephen will help us uh, with with those times. But towards the end of October, I've been invited to Israel to uh, teach at a Bible college of both Messianic Jews and uh, Palestinian Christians there, and they've asked me to speak on uh, practical theology, and particularly as the theology of the triune God plays out in several areas of the way we are called to live our Christian life. So I'm doing some advanced run on that material and developing some material for that week, and as we uh, go through that together. So thank you for this time. Today, we look at worship, the air we breathe the very reason for our living. We'll look at several texts, but let me share one with you at this time, Hebrews 2, verses 11 and 12. For both he who sanctifies and those who are being sanctified are all of one. For which reason Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will declare your name to my brothers in the midst of the assembly. I will sing praise to you. This is God's word. Worship and the triune God. All day long, every moment of every day, everywhere we go, we are worshiping. Worship is the response we make to what we value most. You can know where and what we are worshiping simply by following the trail of our lives. Where we spend our time, our affection, our energy, our money, our loyalty, at the end of that trail will be a throne. And whatever or whomever is on that throne is what is of highest value to us. On that throne is what we worship. The Bible tells us that we are all worshipers, we are created to be worshipers, and we live lives which are bent and distorted and have missed the mark if we haven't discovered what is the one who is of ultimate and primary worth. We are made to delight in God, to praise Him, to worship Him. The Bible says it this way, All things were made by Him and all things were made for Him. You are created by God You were made for God. So let me make several remarks. I really only have one to focus in, but I have a long introduction of about nine points. Let's skim over those and get to the one piece of fresh material I want to make this morning in the time we have. But first, introductorily, worship begins 
not with us, but with the life of the triune God himself, Father, Son, and Spirit. Worship begins and ends with God's own life. The first thing we know about, about God as Christians is not that he is creator, is not that he is ruler, but that he is the father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That God is father to the Son, and the presence and the power of the Spirit goes all the way down. There is nothing deeper. All that God does and is, he is and does as father. That's who he is. He creates as a father. He rules as a father. There is another, nothing deeper, nothing interior to that, that we are to come to know. This gets unpacked for us in 1 John, the fourth chapter here. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Before creation was, before all things came into existence, God was eternally Father, Son, and the power of the Spirit, a community of love, distinguishable but indivisible. Fundamentally, then, we know that God is Father, loving and giving as His Son in the fellowship of the Spirit. He is the triune God. This is His great beauty. One of my favorite theologians of uh, the 20th century, Karl Barth, who we're studying uh, this month in my doctoral seminar, unites the Trinity of God and His beauty this way. The triunity of God is the secret of his beauty. If we deny this, we at once have a God without radiance and without joy and without humor. A God without beauty. Losing the dignity and power of real divinity also loses his beauty. But if we keep to this, namely our understanding of this triune community of love from all eternity, Father, Son, and Spirit, if we keep to this, that the one God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We cannot escape the fact, either in general or in detail, that apart from anything else, God is also beautiful. We'll come back to that in just a few moments as we say why we want to worship God in beauty, in the beauty of His holiness. If God is not Father, Son, and Spirit, then He is eminently Rejectable, without love. So God is in himself an eternal community of love and praise. The triunity of God, God's own praise, God's own love, is itself the stuff of eternity. We worship God then for all he's worth. God is worthy of all praise from all people for all time. That's why every glimpse into God's presence throughout the Bible lets us see this ongoing life of praise. Listen to the angels in the book of Revelation. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God the Almighty who was and is and is to come. Never do they stop. Their praise is ongoing without ceasing. The Father and the Son and the Spirit see in one another that which is beautiful and glorious and holy and limitless and loving.
That's the home and the heart of value and worth and worship itself. Several years ago, actually a decade ago, I came across a record of uh, a few medieval monasteries that continued the practice of the Israel Temple of always, day in, day out, week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out, singing praises without ceasing to God. The same source I found that I I told a story about one monastery that was overcome by Norse raiders. They slaughtered the monks within that monastery without mercy, so the story went, including the one who was singing. One of the monks, however, had found a safe haven, a place where he almost surely would not be uh, found by the invaders. But when he heard the song of praise stop, instinctively he took it up betraying his own place of refuge. The praise of heaven is unceasing. As soon as the chorus of the living creatures and the elders concludes, John looked and saw and heard another voice around the throne. Our Eastern Orthodox brothers and sisters have much perhaps to teach us. They consider when the church is gathered in worship, We are gathering the ongoing praise of heaven. It is as if a trap door in the heavenlies swings open. And for a few moments, we join in our lives and hearts and souls and spirits that which is ongoing and unceasing. So, worship begins with God in himself and continues on account of his overflowing love. Worship is our response to God. It begins with Him. It reflects His life. And it is always secondary to His initiative response. That's the key word. He reveals, we respond. He discloses, we respond. He unveils, we respond. We look at Him and we say, God, you are amazing. He loves, we love in return. He calls, we answer. He leads, we follow. God knows who he is. He knows his worth. He knows that the best thing he can give his people is himself. And the best thing we can know about ourselves, our identity, is that we are sons and daughters of him, that we are his, that we owe him our best self, and our best praise. In worship, God is choosing to reward us with himself. I've shared with you before that outside of Scripture, one of the two sentences that I have found most valuable, both written by C.S. Lewis, one is about worship and praise. It goes this way. Um, The most important thing about praise, Lewis writes, seems to have escaped him. The world redounds with praise, stamp collectors praising their stamp collections, lovers praising their beloved, cricket, cricketeers praising the joys of cricket, however that could be possible. Uh, And then he writes the critical sentence, a joy is not complete until it overflows in praise. In other words, we praise God because we see him. 
because we understand his worth, because we've come to value his love, because we have seen his beauty. In one of the Narnia Chronicles, Lucy sees Aslan, the great golden lion, who is the Christ figure in those adult children's tales. Uh, so after a long time, Lucy returns to Narnia and she sees Aslan and she cries out to him, Aslan, you are bigger, she says. No, replies Aslan. I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever. It is you who have changed, not I. You are older, but the older and older you grow in me, the larger I will appear. At its core, worship is all about God. Our worship is to him, and our worship is for him. We worship God in beauty. Let me, um, let me go to my... This should have been a one-point sermon. Let's get to that point. I'm skipping four. <laughs> but in our text we looked at and, uh, and we've heard in the second chapter of Hebrews... Let me make this observation. Worship is joining the Trinitarian life of glorifying and loving God. Salvation, our salvation, and our worship are both part of our participation in the life of the Son. Our salvation is all about applying in our life what has been wrought for us by the Son. Uh, the Father has a Son who He loves, and He pours the Spirit on the Son, and this Father gives this same Son to pour on His people. The Son comes into the world to bring us to the Father. The Son comes to unite Himself to our life so that we could be united to His. The Spirit unites us to that same Son so that we can cry to the Father where the Son has always cried to him, Abba, Father. That's what Christian salvation is about. And it's what Christian worship is about. And it's the picture that we are given here in Hebrews 2. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have the same source. He is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, and then he quotes from Psalm, from, from, from Psalm 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will sing your praises. This is the first thing he does. He declares the worthiness of God in the midst of the congregation, in the presence of his brothers. I will sing your praises, O God. You can picture it. He is the firstborn of creation. He is the forerunner. He is the firstborn from the dead, the first among many brothers. And now in Hebrews 2, he is standing in the midst of the congregation, standing in the front, and he says, I will sing your praise, praising God and all the brothers and sisters. If we can, just for this text, all of us, male and female, understand we are sons of God. We, uh, we males have our own problems in, in dealing with being brides of Christ. But I like that image of all of us being sons of God because it... it uh, it, it underscores and overlaps that we participate in the triune life of God. Our brother comes in our midst and stands before us, and the first thing he does on our behalf and his behalf is praise the Father. 
being a Christian is all about standing in the presence of Jesus, standing around him and following him. He praises God and we praise God with him. He delights in the Father and we delight in the Father with him. This works with everything. He is the king, victorious over death. And because of that, we are sharing that victory with him. He is the priest, interceding night and day for his people. And because of that, we pray with him. When we pray, we are sharing his life with him. He is prophet, declaring the word of the Father and sharing it with the people. When we are on mission, we share that with him. So Jesus, the Son, is the ultimate worshiper. Being a Christian is to bring people into Jesus' life to say, Amen. He says, I will tell, I will sing your praises, I will put my trust in you. He trusts the Father. He declares the Father's goodness and beauty. And because he believes the Father's name is praiseworthy, we can believe that too. You will see that when you see that he is praiseworthy, he is at the front and we gather around him to say, Amen. Father, we are haunted and helped by the great gift of grace you have given in your Son, Jesus Christ. You have shown us, you have given us a lens into the deepest things of all reality, that not just in relationship to your creation, but from all eternity, you are Father to the Son and the presence of the Spirit. And because of that, we are invited through the Son, our brother, our forerunner, the first fruits from the dead, to join in your eternal praise. You are the altogether beautiful one. You are the one who is worthy of worship. And we thank you that you give us an identity, an identity that cannot be shaken or stolen from us. When we understand that by your goodness and by your grace, we are your sons and daughters too, from and for all eternity. For it is in the name of our brother, our forerunner, the firstborn, and our Savior, your Son, even Jesus Christ, that we pray.